James chapter 4 in your Bibles this evening. James chapter 4. This evening we'll be looking at a passage, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and looking at how we can be planning ahead towards the future. I've titled this evening's message, Facing the Future God's Way. Facing the Future God's Way. As we start into this brand new year, I know some of us make resolutions, some of us make plans, we have expectations as to how we expect this year to go. And my wife is the planner between the two of us. She likes to have detailed notes as to how each month is going to go. And we have a calendar, I'm sure I've told you this, on our fridge. And of the entire month, and each person is color coordinated. So whenever she puts down, we have a specific color to know this is for us specifically. Uh, each individual has, uh, has their own color so we know what to look for. And there have been many times where I've been guilty of double booking. I planned on something, talking with someone on the phone, and haven't consulted the calendar on the fridge. And then once I did later on, I found out that I just double booked. And I committed to something when I have a doctor's appointment at the same time on the same day. But either way, we, we make plans and we have preparations that we expect that are going to be fulfilled over the, the week and the month and even the year looking ahead. And as we look ahead to this brand new year, it's important that we understand how to plan and how to make make arrangements the way that God intends us intends on us doing so. Since the very beginning of time, people have tried to guess what the future will hold. God has wisely, though, blinded our eyes from the future because it is not up to us to know everything there is to know, but it is up to us to trust in the one who does know everything. And it is a good thing that we don't know everything because if we did, we would be careless and we would be senseless about life, knowing when and how everything is going to happen. A theologian by the name of W.A. Criswell has noted, he said, there must have been a kindness and a goodness of God in thus veiling the future from our eyes. For if a man knew what the morrow would bring, he would live in constant fear and foreboding. Dying, he would die a thousand deaths before dying just once. Fainting, he would faint a thousand times under a stroke that was yet to be delivered. God hides the future from our eyes that we might live in confidence and hope. I think about that. There, there's a lot of truth in that. If we knew everything there was to know and how our lives would go for just the entire year, what panic we would have knowing that the calamity is about to come at the end of the month or at the end of the week, we would be a nervous wreck expecting frantically something bad to happen. And it is providential that, the, that God has not given us insight into this future, as, as specifically from our day-to-day -day future. Uh, we, we look at the Bible, and of course, we understand the blueprint of God's entire future of time and how things are going to come to an end. But as far as the timeline is concerned, we are blind and uh, our, our sight is veiled on that. But our passage this evening is going to show us how unpredictable the future is and how we must learn to face it honestly. We're not discouraged to plan but we are discouraged to plan without taking God into consideration, knowing that ultimately he is the one who is in control of our future. So with your Bibles open, I want you to follow along with me as I read, beginning with verse 13 here in James chapter 4. I'll read down through verse number 17. 
Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that the first mistake is we make plans without God. We make plans without God. This is the first mistake. And look at, again at verse 13. It says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, when you read this verse the first time through, nothing really seems to jump out at you, at you as glaringly wrong. But a careful study reveals actually a few errors here. It becomes quite clear that those who are making these plans are disregarding God. And we're guilty of this all the time. We're guilty of this when we don't go to God immediately in prayer. We're guilty of this when we fail to consult God in our lives in the decisions that we make from day to day. Now, we may not immediately recognize this as worldliness, but any time that we allow anything else to take priority in our lives, worldliness has won and God has taken a back seat. Someone has said, the form of worldliness of which James here speaks of is a presumptuous confidence in the future, calculating on time to come without reference to God's providence, as if the future and all that it brings with it were in our hands. Many times that is true with how, even as Christians, how we approach our future and how we go ahead and make plans for the week or month or year. It may not be our intention that we're leaving God out, but in one way or another, we've convinced ourselves that the future is indeed in our hands and in our control, so we make plans without consulting God. Now, if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you think that the future is in your hands? No one would raise their hands and say, yes, I believe it's in my hands, and I believe I'm in control of everything that's going to happen in my life over the next year. But when we make plans and when we, excuse me, try and execute those plans without God, without consulting him. That's basically what we're saying. Now, while this was a mistake that James was highlighting here, it's worth noting that these believers, and he's speaking to a group of believers here, that they're not being condemned for making plans, but that they're making these plans without consulting God. When we look at this verse, we actually see, in my impression, a good process to plan making. The plan is constructed by building in some flexibility. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow. So there's some flexibility in that plan, today or tomorrow. A specific location is chosen. It says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city. A duration of time is determined and continue there a year. And then a purpose is established and buy and sell and get gain. So there's actually a good little formula here for plan making. Now, again, they're being admonished and condemned for not including God in on these plans. But as far as just plan making in general, this is a good formula to follow. They have flexibility built into their plans because there's honestly, every single day is fluid. A specific location is chosen. A a specific duration of time is determined and a purpose is established. This was the reason why they would travel and and go wherever they were going to go. And it was to make a profit, to buy and sell and get gain, verse number 13 says. This was the reason that they would do anything. This is the way that most of the Jews lived. 
They would go from one city to the next, buying and selling it and making a profit. They had no intention on permanently relocating, but staying for some time in a city until they felt that that city would no longer prove profitable, so they would move on to the next city. And then the next city and the next city. They were motivated motivated by the pursuit of material wealth. So they went wherever the demand was the greatest for whatever they had. And they brought a great supply. As far as business is concerned, this is a good model to follow. The problem is that as Christian businessmen, they should have realized that life is not all about worldly wealth. But collecting heavenly treasures that will have eternal value. But when your plans don't involve God, you'll not be focused on those things of eternal value. You'll only be focused on what is going to put more money in your pocket, what is going to be most beneficial for you personally. It's not often the case that businessmen hold God in high regard. The way that the business world operates can be quite cutthroat as men and women are taught to do almost whatever is necessary to get ahead. Even if it's tearing other people down, it is anything is on the table as long as it advances your own personal agenda. Often that means employing some very questionable tactics, some very unlawful practices, certainly not things that would be pleasing to God. And when the focus is only to make as much as possible, when the focus is only on self-advancement, God is not at all included in the plans. And that is why many Christian businessmen purposely leave God out of their business plans because they feel it would negatively affect their bottom line and their profit margin if they did it. They think that God will get in the way of them making money. It would be wise for us to consider the words of Christ from Matthew chapter 6 and verses 31 to 33. Where he said, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Those words of Christ, even though they may have been spoken 2,000 years ago, probably mean more to us today than they did to the people in the original audience that he spoke those words to. We live in such a materialistic world today, a world that is driven by the pursuit of money, by the pursuit of possessions, that we need to hear those words now more than ever, that we need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. Make plans, set goals, but be sure that the ultimate goal is to glorify your heavenly Father who is always watching what you do. The second mistake that we see is to presume to know the future. To presume to know the future. Look at what it says in verse 14. <clears throat> Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. As they would make plans for the future, three specific errors were made. First, they failed to realize just how complex life can be. They failed to realize how complex life can be. And I dare say that we do the same thing. But the people that he's writing to here had a specific business plan, which it all made sense on paper. But when they failed to account for the complexities of life, they would run into some problems. The plan was to go into a specific city, today or tomorrow, some flexibility built in, to stay for a year, buy and sell and make a profit. Easy, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's there, it's cut and dry. On paper, it makes sense. The problem was that none of them could have any confidence in what tomorrow would hold. 
let alone how business would be a year from now. On January 1st, 2022, there was probably an idea of how you thought that entire year was going to go. Now, as you are able to look back on an entire calendar year, I'm sure there are things that happened that you never thought were going to happen. I'm sure there are plans that you were expecting to get accomplished that never got accomplished because life threw you a curveball and because it was a lot more complex than what you ever thought it would be. There are things in each of our lives where we can look back on just this past year and say, definitely, God was doing things that I never thought would happen or I never considered would happen on January 1st, 2022 to where we are today on January 1st, 2023. And this is the way it works. Life can be so complex. And when we fail to acknowledge that and realize that, we get ourselves into so much trouble. Even if we have a plan that makes sense on paper as to how we think the week or the month or the entire year is going to pan out. These individuals that James is writing to were the same way. They had the plan on paper that made sense. It was a good business plan. They figured it was foolproof, but they failed to realize how complex life can be. What if they went to the city that they deemed it was going to be a good city for them to get gain at? But what if they arrived and their product that they had, whatever they were selling, was not in high demand? What if someone else had a better version of that product that they were selling? What if there were no buyers? What if everyone loved their product, but no one had the money to fork over and to purchase what they had? What if there were a number of other similar products that created a competition and now drove all of their prices down so that they can compete with one another and now just completely erased their profit margin? All sorts of scenarios had failed to be considered because they failed to consult God. Now on paper, again, everything sounded right as far as how their business plan was going to work out and how they had figured this entire time would go. But without taking into account the complexities of life, which we ought to be doing as well, problems are soon to arise and are sure to arise and possibly destroy their business plan and even the plans that we make for this upcoming year. The truth of the matter is that no, no matter how hard we try and, and how detailed our plans can get, we cannot account for every complexity of life because we cannot know the future. So that the first error they made was that they failed to realize how complex life can be. The second error they made was that they failed to consider the uncertainty of life. Look again at what it says in verse 14. It says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Too complex. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while, a little time, and then vanisheth away. They failed to consider the uncertainty of life. They made these plans, which all sounded good, made sense on paper, but there was no way that they could have any sort of confidence to make such a bold prediction. The plan contained so much arrogance as if it was sure to be successful because they were the ones who came up with the plan. Today or tomorrow, we'll leave this city, we'll stay for a year, we'll buy and sell, we'll make a ton of money. And then we'll pack up and we'll move on to the next city and make even more money. And then after that year, we'll go on to the next city, make even more money, and then just bounce around from city to city, year after year, filling our pocket with all sorts of gain. What could possibly go wrong? How often does this happen to us that we make plans that we think we've, in, we, we've included every little scenario, every possible worst case scenario, everything, every single thing that could go wrong, and we have it foolproof and we think nothing can come up because we've thought of everything that could ever derail our plan, only for it to blow up in our face 
because we fail to consider just how uncertain life can be. Something completely unexpected happens, something you never planned for, and now you're left scratching your head, wondering what on earth you're going to do, because when you thought you'd considered everything, God dropped the one thing that you hadn't considered in your life to show you just how uncertain life can be, and you certainly have not planned for it. The frustrating thing is that it always seems to happen when you think that you've considered every possible scenario, but then the one thing you never considered happens, and you're met with ultimately disappointment. We fail to consider the uncertainty of life and we get ourselves into trouble. And third, we fail to consider the brevity of life. We fail to consider the brevity of life. Look again at verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. James asks one of the most profound questions ever. What is your life? What is your life? What he's asking here is, How is your life going to be lived from birth until death? What is your life? All throughout the Bible, we see this truth of the brevity of life described. Jesus tells the story of a a very wealthy farmer who looked into the future and decided that he would tear down his current barns and build greater barns ones that could hold all of his goods. And listen to what the farmer says to himself in Luke 12 and verses 19 to 21. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The farmer in the story is called a fool, not because he was planning for the future. It's a good thing to plan for the future. But because his plan for the future failed to consider the brevity of life. He believed that he was the one entirely control over his entire future. And on the very night that he hatched this great plan, this foolproof plan, he died and became the fulfillment of the words from Proverbs 27, verse 1, which states, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He thought he was set for years and years to come, not just because of how much he had profited in the worldly gain, but in himself, he's thinking he's going to control his own fate and live for many, many years. And God says, tonight, tonight, it's all ending. So we've, we've looked at the, the second mistake and three errors which accompanied this mistake. But notice now the third mistake, putting off what should be done today. Putting off what should be done today. Look at what we see in verse number 17. Jump down to chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is going to be a memory verse this year, so just mark that. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Putting off what should be done today. The story is told of a man who was cleaning out his desk one day and came across an old shoe repair ticket that was 10 years old. Figuring that he had nothing to lose, 
He went to the shop and gave the ticket to the repairman who began to search in the back room for these unclaimed shoes which had been there for over 10 years. And after several minutes, the man reappeared and handed the ticket back to the man. What's wrong, asked the man. Couldn't you find my shoes? He said, oh, I found them, replied the repairman, and they'll be ready out next Friday. <clears throat> now, it's, it's a silly story, but there is an intended message that we cannot miss. Procrastination is the root of so much of our trouble. It is a problem that has been around since the very beginning. In fact, we read about it in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 56 and verse 12, the Bible says, Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall as this day, and much more abundant. In Proverbs 3 and 27 and 28, it teaches the same truth. It says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. We cannot count on tomorrow. There's no guarantee that tomorrow will come or that we'll even be around for tomorrow. Here in verse 17 of James chapter 4, James is making a very clear point that knowledge and responsibility have to go hand in hand. To sin ignorantly is one thing. We read about that in the book of Leviticus, where people unknowingly have done something wrong, but when, they're, when it's made known unto them, they must confess it and deal with it properly. But to sin ignorantly is one thing. But to sin in the face of a known truth is something completely different. And that's what James here is talking about. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Jesus speaks of such a sin in Luke 12, 47 and 48. He says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. At the beginning of this passage, here in James, James was warning them about leaving God out of their plans, out of planning for the future. And now he's warning them of a sin that is just as serious. No matter what, sin has to be taken seriously. The types of sin we're looking at here this evening would be referred to as sins of omission. God is omitted from our thoughts. God is omitted from our plans and just omitted from our minds altogether. It comes across as an oversight, but it's actually sin. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You can't just chalk it off as, oh, I, I disregarded God as out of ignorance. No, you've actually willfully done that. But now I want you to see the solution. The first solution to these problems and to know how to prepare for the future the right way is to get rid of pride. Get rid of pride. Look back at verse number 16. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now this verse outlines why these believers that James is writing to were making these mistakes in the first place. Very simple, they were prideful. They were prideful. He says, now you rejoice in your boastings. 
They had made all of these plans without God, thinking that they were in control of their own destiny. They made all these arrangements about the future, foolishly thinking that nothing could happen to them that was beyond their control. They thought they were in control of all things. They procrastinated because they assumed that there would always be a tomorrow. And notice that verse 16 doesn't just speak of them boasting once, but this is an ongoing action. He says, but now you rejoice in your boastings. That idea there is that it is ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. It is an ongoing thing in their life that they're boasting and how well they put plans together and how well they think they can execute these plans. Pride is never something that should be present within us. The Bible does tell us that there are occasions to boast, but it is never done and never encouraged to be done in a prideful manner. Paul speaks of boasting, but he refers to it as glorying in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In Jeremiah chapter 9, and verses 23 and 24, it gives us the perfect reason to boast. It says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercised loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord." If we're going to glory, if we're going to boast in anything in life, let it not be in our plans. Let it not be in how smart we think we are or how we've come up with the perfect idea of how things are going to be or just how wise we consider ourselves. Let us boast in the Lord. And the second solution is to defer to the will of God. Defer to the will of God. Look back at verse 15. James chapter 4, verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. This is what they should be doing. This is what we should be doing. Instead of going about things our own way, leaving God out. This is doing things God's way, deferring to the will of God. Now, it's not, not making plans, but it's making plans the way God intends on you making plans, consulting him all along the way. It should have been within these believers to acknowledge that all of, all of their planning may fall through if the Lord's will was for something else to be done. Deferring to the will of God is the example set before us throughout the Bible, wherever plans are mentioned. The Apostle Paul told the Jews at Ephesus that he would return for a renewed ministry if God willed. Listen to what he said in Acts chapter 18 and verse 21. It says, But he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. If God will. He made plans, but his plans included God, and he deferred to the will of God to supersede whatever plans he made for the future. He had every intention of coming back. He had every intention of being with them again. But he said, listen, God may change these plans. And what I think is going to happen may not actually happen. He made a similar statement to the believers in Corinth when he said in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 verse 19, he says, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. 
He had the same understanding when he even spoke to the believers in Philippi as he had plans to see them as well. Listen to what he said in Philippians 2, 24. He said, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He says, I trust in the Lord. So again, he's still deferring to the Lord's will. He was trusting that the Lord would allow him the opportunity to come and visit these believers. He was deferring to the will of God and not boasting in himself, thinking that he was in control of his future. He didn't tell these believers, saying, I've figured it all out. I've got the perfect plan. You can count on me being there next month. He deferred to the will of God as he was making these plans. And James here was urging Christians to trust in Jesus instead of a well-thought-out plan. The only way for them and for us to face our future is to trust in God from day to day. Because I don't care how thought out your plan is, how detailed every little day may get, even if you're down to the hour and the minute. Life is so complex, and if we're not deferring to the will of God, you're going to be met with so much disappointment in this upcoming year. As far as, as knowing the will of God, because if we don't come to the realization now that we're not in control, that God is, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But as far as knowing the will of God, there is a general agreement among Christians that there are three basic issues involved. First, you must be willing to do God's will when it is found out. And that's something that a lot of Christians don't want to hear and don't want to accept. That once you find out what God's will has for your life, regardless of what your plan is for your future and for your year and your month and your week, you need to be willing to do what God has told you to do once you find out what it is that God is telling you to do. The second, you must realize that God's will is always in agreement with God's word. God's will never contradicts his word. He's never going to tell you to do something that goes against what his word tells you to do. He is never going to have you say something, have you go someplace, have you do anything at all, get involved with anything that is going to compromise his truth or contradict what he's clearly declared in his word. And third, we must always come to God in prayer to seek his guidance. This is the only way God's will is going to be known. When we're doing these three things, we can be sure to know the will of God. When we're doing these things, we can know that God is going to direct our steps as we make plans for the future, which we should be doing. So plan specifically what you believe to be the will of God for your life. As God is kept as part of this planning process, however detailed you may be as you're making plans for this upcoming year, God will keep you focused on what you need to be focused on. God is going to alter those plans. He's going to tweak things. He's going to completely change things and add things to your plans that you never expected. But know that he's always in control and he's always doing what is right. One thing ought to be clear as we take in the truth of this passage. If our goals line up with God's goals, we're certain to reach them faster than we would going at things on our own. A Christian businessman gave a speech titled The Art of Being a Big Shot. And listen to what he said as it really lines up perfectly with the words of James chapter 4. He said, It is my pride that makes me independent of God. It is appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my fate, that I run my own life, call my own shots, go at life alone. But that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go at life alone. I have to get help from other people, and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I am dependent on God for my next breath. It is dishonest of me to pretend that I am anything but a man, small, weak, and limited. 
So living independent of God is self-delusion. It is not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake. When I am conceited, I am lying to myself about what I am. I am pretending to be God and not man. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself, and that is the national religion of hell. Now, there's a lot of truth there in what that man said. There is really only way, only one way, for us to face the future with any sort of confidence, and that is by facing the future God's way. Only God knows what tomorrow holds, so seek his will and plan according to God's purposes. Would you bow with me in prayer here this evening? Heavenly Father, we're thankful, and Lord, that you have given us your word where we know, Lord, the blueprint on how to have success in life. Lord, I, I know, though, that this is something that we all struggle with because, Lord, we do allow pride to creep in. Lord, we at times boast in ourselves and in what we think we've done to better ourselves. But ultimately, Lord, we need to realize that we are completely dependent upon you for everything. The very next breath that we breathe has been supplied to us by you if we're allowed to breathe it. Lord, may we consider you as we make plans and preparations for this new calendar year. Lord, there are new and exciting things that await us in this year, things that we may not even be aware of yet. As we look back on one year and think about how you moved and how you worked and the different things that you did to show how faithful and awesome you are, may we be encouraged, Lord, for what you have in store for us here in this future. May we make plans, but Lord, may we do things according to your purposes, deferring to your will every step of the way. In Christ's name we pray, amen.